Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome to episode 21 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Today, we are going to give a wide-ranging recap of the concept of equity. That's right. It's your most valuable resource. And I'm bringing the little guy behind the big microphone once again today. DeWalker is going to be joining me for a walking, talking tour of many of the highlights that we've covered over about the last 90 days as it relates to the equity that you have and that you're building in your business. It's sure to be a note-taking episode, so get your pad and pen ready. And if you're my friend, Dr. Sean Hare, and you're entering the clinic this morning, pour out that awful cup of Keurig coffee and maybe brew one off of your Mila system. That's right, the Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Once again, welcome everyone to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I'm Perrin Desports, and I am your host on today's podcast. Once again, as I said in the introduction, I'm going to be joined behind the microphone by my partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, do you want to say hello to everybody this afternoon? Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, it's going to be another riveting podcast. <laughs> so today, we're going to kind of put a bow around the last uh, 90 days or so. Um, the theme that we've been talking about over the last three months on the show has, predominantly has been around the concept of equity. Uh, and we want to kind of give a recap around that because we've we've covered a lot of areas, honestly, a lot of subject matter. And some of this was familiar to some, but not familiar to all. Uh, and some of it was a little bit overwhelming to part of the audience, which is completely understandable. We spent um, a couple of episodes talking about associates and executives, that's restricted stock unit or restricted membership unit and profits interest unit type concepts. The next 30 days we spent talking about cap table mergers and partnerships. And then the last uh, probably 20 to 30 days or so, we've been rolling out this concept called affiliations uh, as part of or a component of an overall growth strategy. And the key to all of this really comes back to equity, uh, what equity is, what it means, how to maximize it, and how to look at it as your most valuable currency, because it truly is. And I think that's a, a concept, uh, a pinnacle concept that might not be near and dear to people, even though they do own their own business. So the the concept of equity is something that DeWalker and I feel very strongly about, obviously, being fellow business owners uh, and, and trying to grow our business through the use of equity every bit as much as we advocate for our audience out there. Um, but we want to make sure that people think through the strategies uh, and obviously the tactics behind which um, they use uh, equity to achieve. So first and foremost, um, equity uh, is an emotional um, currency. 
You know, we all uh, we all take a lot of pride in the businesses that we own and the businesses that we're building. Uh, and equity has a significant emotional component for those of us who are building businesses and for those of us who want to be part of building businesses. DeWalker, why don't I let you take the first swing of the, the bat here uh, and let's talk about maybe how to, for lack of a better term, overcome the fear, if you will, that's associated with that emotion around concepts like um, dilution or disclosures within partnerships and you know what it's what it's really like to go from being 100% owner to less than 100% owner and what it's like to have partners in your business. You want to take a whack at that one? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, we are a partnership and I you know, we believe partnerships are great and I know uh, you know there's there are concerns around partnerships uh, not working out or anything like that and I think there's some validity to it. Um, I think those may align, rely on an alignment of vision or different variable factors that may be there. But I think, uh, you know, as you know, our audience members that might be in a partnership today uh, and thinking of bringing in other associate doctor partners or affiliate partners, as we've talked about in the series, um, I think it's important to kind of think about uh, partnerships in a two ways. One is... <clears throat> You know the emotional journey that you go through if you're, you know, just uh, in a partnership today, or if you're just 100% owner, which is, you know, do you want to do this journey by yourself, or do you think you'll enjoy that journey with other people around you? Uh, and I think that comes down to the probably the number one underlying question that everybody wants to should answer for themselves, um, and and above economics, beyond economics, you know, do you, do you like being in a journey with other people? Uh, and if you do, then I think uh, if you are a 100% owner today, or if it's just you and one or two people in a partnership today, I think bringing additional partners with you and really thinking through the economic model, what it means, um, I think it's the next step. And as far as economics goes, you know, if the structure is done correctly, no different than associate equity, um, and you're bringing in other doctors, I think that's a uh, the economic model can be in your favor. Uh, assuming you partner up with the right doctor, they're in a position today, you can uh, grow the business to a 2X, 3X position. And that could be a merger position, that could be an affiliation position. I think that becomes an economic aspect, a, a the next step to kind of think through. Um, you know, lastly, as far as, you know, disclosures, uh, disclosure meaning, you know, showing full financial statements and P&L of the entire business or their practice. Um, again, those kind of come back to a little bit the emotional comfort around it. I think it's okay to kind of, uh, you know, run a open P&L balance sheet company and share what your company is doing, uh, what, uh, you know, what, what it uh, uh, takes to run the business. I think a lot of other doctor partners already understand the economics of the business to some level. And I think they would, they would appreciate it to kind of see what the macro performance looks like and where the company is headed. Um, lastly, as far as control goes and, you know, running the business correctly, and um, that comes down to the operating agreement. Number one, that uh, comes down to conversations that you're having with the pro prospect partner doctor in an affiliation or a merger situation of, you know, who does what in the company, what are the roles and responsibilities, what seat are that doctor partner going to sit in versus the, the DSO doctor partner is going to sit in. I think that's important to understand also. So I think some of it is just having the right conversations early in the process. And that's alignment of vision and, and roles and responsibilities. And then the second part is really around 
the legal structure and, um, you know, having the right control provisions in there, you know, drag along, tag along provisions. We work with a lot of uh, really, really good law firms that understand DSO structures, operating agreements, affiliation agreements, profits, interest agreements. Um, <clears throat> so those, those things can be structured correctly. Um, and, and really, if, you know, just one thing I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not an attorney, but, you know, if you, you know, we work with enough attorneys just know that if you structure the deal correctly as a managing member and what kind of voting rights should be a majority, super majority, and, you know, really don't encourage unanimous decision points. I think that really creates a veto position. Um, those things can be structured correctly to allow the company to function properly uh, and grow properly. But step one, again, is alignment of vision, alignment of, of roles and responsibilities, because and if you have to kind of revert to a legal document, at that point, the partnership's probably not going well. And there's probably some some um, uh, degradation of, of vision, trust, alignment, things like that, and really more trust um, as you go through that process. So I think these are things I think we can work through and, and people should be able to work through. But the number one thing is, do you want to do this journey yourself or do you want other, other on the train with you um, and join the journey with you? Yeah, I, very well said. And and I think for every, you know, every associate equity model that I've ever done um, with the client, we have worked with the law firm to redraft their operating agreement. So a lot of what you you went through for both the emotional context of things um, around the fear of dilution and then the control aspect, what is voting control and day-to-day managing member, all those considerations um, I know that those are front and center and a, a legitimate concern for hopefully all of our audience out there. They should be a concern of yours. Um, but suffice to say, those are those are things that we work through a very active process with the client and um, with a, a, a firm to a law firm to um, craft all of that to make sure that the founder or founders uh, or partner or partners uh, of the business are are happy with the outcome and they're confident that, you know, they're not going to get voted off their own island, honestly. Um, so it's, it's a legitimate fear um, with an emotional component, but there are ways to solve for it. Um, as we sort of pivot off of that, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit more around what we might call, um, you know, the, the risks, if you will, around mergers and acquisitions. Um, and, and specifically, you know, how we think through things like equity or specifically an equity role even, um, and partner doctors uh, as it relates to, um, you know, the risk around M&A. Do you want to take a crack at that one? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, whenever you're doing a uh, M&A merger deal with a client, um, and this is not affiliations, and affiliations could be a little more, probably more clear cut in agreement, uh, but on a merger position, you know, let's say you're uh, acquiring somebody out of a million dollar practice and you're, you know, writing a check for 60% or 70%, six or $700,000. I think it's important that, you know, you know, we've kind of said in our previous podcast, equity can be currency, right? And the currency can be impactful to the partner doctor and the currency can be impactful to the DS of uh, doctors also. Um, so I think it's, there it comes down to, okay, you know, one's the legal component of it where, you know, do you have the right legal structure? Secondarily, is the equity role living at the practice level? Is the equity role living at the sub-DSO level? 
Um, and then is the equity role living at the hold call level or the actual management company level? And then secondarily, uh, you know, beyond that, you know, what is the valuation structure at each of those tiers? Uh, is there an equity split at each of those tiers? For example, you, know, you could be, you know, um, million dollar practice, cutting a check for six hundred thousand, you're left with four hundred thousand dollars in equity, and you could split that four hundred thousand dollars in equity into two hundred thousand dollars in equity roll at sub DSO level, allow them to participate in the regional demographic uh, to to be a partner doctor there, and then allow them a two hundred thousand dollar equity roll at the DSO hold call level, and provide them in a a more macro level equity position within the company um, and participate at a more macro level uh, as a you know, partner doctor. So I think it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to kind of provide those options. In the one, if you have to have the legal structure to understand the economics at each of those levels and what dilution and equity value means at each of those levels. But if you can understand those things, what it means to the DS and what it means to the participating doctor, it can be a really cool thing to, you know, use that as, as, as parent, you've said over and over, currency to drive a, a decision for both parties. So, yeah, fa- fantastic stuff. And there's nothing, there's nothing like, you know, being in a business with somebody where you feel like you are truly all rowing in the boat in the same direction because you all have a vested interest in the outcome. Um, equity is. Um, is scarce, like we talk about for sure, um, but it's it's highly motivational uh, if deployed correctly, and and I think that's again what we want people to really think through in terms of equity as currency and how they're using it to create the outcome that they want, even when they no longer own one hundred percent of the entity. Um, it's not the percentage you own; it's the the dollar value of the shares you hold, and and the you know, the obvious thing that I always talk with with uh, prospective clients about, not to be trite, but I'd love to own 1% of Google, right? I'm a distinct minority shareholder at 1%, but that's a pretty healthy 1% in terms of dollars, right? So if you go from being 100% owner of a business to, I don't know, 80%, 70%, even 60% or, or below, but the dollar value of those shares increases at a faster rate, through the use of equity, then it, you're coming out ahead on on the on the outcome for sure. So, you know, sticking with the term equity, DeWalker, I think there is um, uh, maybe some I don't want to say confusion, but a, a misunderstanding around uh, how we calculate equity and when we talk about equity that we really mean something called net equity. Um, and, and I think it's important as, as we sort of wrap up this series about equity to, to really define what net equity truly means. I'm going to let you take the lead and then I'm going to play off of you here, but let's talk about net equity for the audience for a sec. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So net equity, I think, uh, is what we truly solve for. And, and this is, this becomes very relevant when people are growing their, uh, um, dental practice or emerging DSO, and they've hit a bank lending cap, right? And I think, you know, in that process, they may be wondering, okay, why did the bank stop lending to me? Uh, you know, part of the answer could be you're with the wrong lending institution. Uh, but part of the answer, and sometimes it is, you know, the answer, which is you're growing, and yes, you've acquired revenue, but you haven't created 
um, good EBITDA margins, yet you don't, and you don't have good equity on balance sheet. And what I mean by that, and I'll give you a, a, a unique, easy economic uh, uh, explanation. Let's say you're buying a, you're a big group practice. Uh, you're buying a million dollar practice and the, it's represented by a broker or even direct. And that practice is selling for 90% of revenue or 80% of revenue or 100% of revenue. And it's a solo practice. Um, and, you know, when you start looking at true EBITDA, not owner cash flow, and I think that's a very common uh, misrepresentation in the space of owner cash flow being EBITDA. Um, you know, so I think if you start solving for EBITDA, the average solo practice might be around 15% or less in EBITDA, unless you're in a rural demographic. Um, so if you're at 15% EBITDA and you're buying a business for 90% of revenue, you know, you've only have, uh, uh, you've leveraged that business nine, I'm sorry, six times. Okay. So again, you know, uh, nine divided by 1.5 is six times or 90% divided by, uh, divided by 15% is six times. And most times, uh, banks leverage ratios are only three to four times. You can imagine just on a balance sheet level, from a lending perspective, you're already starting to over leverage yourself from a, from a lender's lens. Now, let's remove the lender's lens, for example. Let's just look at the M&A lens, for example. You know, most one to two million dollar EBITDA businesses, you know, trade for about six X, you know, might go to a seven X valuation depending on the buyer structure or, you know, there's multiple factors that, you know, come to driving that decision up or down on a multiple factor. And there's always outliers from either side of the spectrum. But let's say you buy that million dollar practice, uh, 90% in revenue, 15% EBITDA, six times leverage. And let's say you're on the higher end of that spectrum and you have uh, $2 million in EBITDA. And let's say, you know, you get a LOI on the market for seven times EBITDA. Well, who are buys your business at seven times not going to give you 100% cash at close? They're going to say, well, you know, we need some kind of a structure. And we've talked about this in our previous podcast, you know, 20, 30, 40% equity rule. So when you buy that business at 90% of revenue, leveraged six times, the the buyers are not giving you 100% credit for that that, uh, aggregation in that space because they're not seeing the value there. So, you know, you're acquiring this business, but your your equity level is only 4X. So if, you're, if you bought that business for 6X, you don't have equity and balance sheet. And that's a conversation we're having with you know, several, um, several of our clients when they're buying the business. And parent, you've particularly that in different podcasts and different quarters. You know, whenever you buy a business, <clears throat> you don't want to buy a business for what it's doing today. You want to buy for where you can take it. So if you can't buy that million dollar practice at ninety percent of revenue for one hundred fifty thousand in EBITDA, and get it to the two hundred uh, two million or two point five million dollars in revenue, and get it to roughly around a four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar EBITDA position, and get that leverage ratio down under three x within a twenty four to thirty six month position, then you're you're not creating equity on balance sheet. You don't have net equity in your business. And I think that's very important to understand for people that are, you know, aggregating through a traditional acquisition uh, model in the space, or just even M&A. And I think that's something to kind of think through. Net equity is really the the average market value, <clears throat> you know, of the business uh, that is out there, minus the debt. And in this case, if uh, you know your max valuation is seven x, let's say, 
unless somebody did give you 100%, which is not going to happen in the M&A space, and your value leverage is 6x, and then that 7x valuation, you took on all that risk for $150,000 improvement in equity. That's that's not you know productive, right? So I think people need to really think through what their net equity on any acquisition looks like, and that may not be immediately realized. But if you don't have the historical success record to build a business, you know, two x within a 24 to 36 month period, and I say two x, that's a combination of top line improvement and bottom line improvement, and you're not able to bring that leverage ratio down under three x within a 24 month period you're not really creating equity on balance sheet. And I would really ask those audience members to slow down instead of going towards the next acquisition or focusing on the next acquisition, we start focusing on same store improvement and, and creating equity and balance sheet. Yeah. How many times have we seen the, you know, what I call the buy and maintain growth strategy, which um, you run out of, you run out of rope in a hurry on that. Um, you should never buy a business for the sake of maintaining it. You should always buy a business for the sake of improving it. And that, to Walker's point, is improvement on the top line, the bottom line, or both. And you need to have conviction about that. You need to have proof of concept. And you need to, to monitor that. Because if you are able to do that, then it opens up a completely different lending window. The other thing I'll say in kind of conclusion is that when we talk about mergers and equity roles and and things like that, it's not just the aspect of bringing in a, another partner. It's the aspect of bringing in another partner at what uh, equity ownership level. So if your business from a net equity standpoint is generating a tremendous amount of revenue, but carrying a phenomenal amount of debt, you may not have very much equity on balance sheet. You talk about merging a business into yours, it could be a lot smaller, could be a lot less volume, could have no debt. And in that case, they could end up being a 50-50 partner, even though their business is half the size of yours. And I don't think that's really what you want to do. So it's important not only to run a very efficient business from a, uh, a management company, delivery of, of administrative services, all that those aspects that we talked about on the prior affiliations podcast, but it's also really, really important to be running a solid business from a, an equity on balance sheet perspective, because that's what gives you size and might, and that's what helps you maintain voting control of the organization. Walker, I think this has been a, a really great podcast today. We, we touched on a lot of things at a high level, but these were, were concepts that we've been building around for the better part of 90 days, and hopefully the audience... Um, uh, hopefully they rung true with a lot of the audience members. I really appreciate you joining me today for sure. Thanks for having me. You got it. You got it. Well, that's a wrap on, um, on episode 21, uh, maximizing your most valuable currency. Uh, and we really appreciate you joining us on the podcast once again today. I hope that you're able to find a lot of ways to apply these concepts or that at least that they make you think differently about the business that you own, control, and operate. If you do have questions, Feel free to drop them to me in an email. You can reach me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back for some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show.
So once again, thanks so much to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the podcast today. He is truly a wealth of information and a great amount of experience. I always appreciate him joining us on the show. And I know that you all get a lot out of uh, the input and the wisdom that he shares. And we'll try to have him back on a more frequent basis going forward as well. Before we wrap things up on today's show, I wanted to... um, Uh, maybe refresh an announcement that probably most of you have read by now, and that's another great quality addition to our team here at Polaris. As you all know, we do a tremendous amount with data and analytics and financial models. Um, There's not a lot of guidance that we give if the models don't indicate it, quite frankly. And we do base a lot of our guidance around the numbers, connecting you to your numbers, giving insight uh, into your numbers based on industry precedent, and and certainly the historical experience that we do bring to the table. So data and analytics is critically important to our current business uh, and as it relates to our business and yours going forward, it's incredibly important. Christian Stamp is uh, the newest addition uh, to our data and analytics team. He is going to be an associate with us here at Polaris, and he brings a wealth of experience from bellwether companies like Deloitte and IntegraChain, to name two, uh, in the world of data analytics and analysis. He's got a modeling and forecasting background, uh, advisory to the C-suite, and a tremendous amount of uh, analysis, um, including forecasting models, uh, historical and market trend analysis, Um, data integrity, all that kind of good stuff. And I think he's going to be another great addition to our data and analytics team. And we are really, really excited about him joining us. I look forward to you getting to meet him at some point in the not too distant future amongst many others uh, on our entire team here at Polaris. So uh, a welcome addition and and, uh, welcome Christian to the team. Really excited about having him uh, join us. I have gotten more and more comments and questions about um, the coffee maker uh, that my wife and I chose uh, to the point that I'm starting to believe that maybe we've created a coffee podcast and not a business or entrepreneurial podcast. Uh, So once again, um, the machine that we chose after exhaustive research by yours truly is Amila. And it's uh, the model number is CM, like Charlie Mary. Uh, CM6350. This is one of those all-in-one automated automatic uh, machines that brews everything from a a killer cup of coffee uh, or espresso to ristrettos, lungos, um, lattes, cappuccinos, all that other kind of whiz-bang stuff. Um, And it does it in in an automated fashion. So you don't have to, it grinds the beans um, it uh, discards what's known as the puck, the leftover beans, all that kind of stuff. You got to clean it every day and at the end of every week. Um, but it is a tremendous machine, and we are we are really thrilled with it to the point now where the next research project is going to be around the actual beans that we use. Since this thing has a bean grinder um, and it grinds fresh beans, um, uh, that's really a game changer as well. And I'm trying to figure out what bean we like best. So if you do have any recommendations or things you'd like to share on either the roaster that you get your beans from or the type of beans that they are, I'd love to hear it. Um, We're trying a lot of different things right now before we settle on something, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad that y'all find it interesting, honestly, Um, but it really is a treat to start the day um, or a pick me up late in the morning for sure. And my wife and I really do love it. So 
I hope you are enjoying the podcast every bit as much as I am enjoying a meal, a cup of coffee right now. Uh, and if you do, I encourage you please to leave us a rating uh, wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcast, any of those. We really do uh, value them uh, and they help in, in uh, SEO and, and people finding the show and everything. So thanks for those who have left us um, uh, reviews and for those who will be leaving us reviews and comments. Again, we truly treasure them. If you've got questions and you want to submit them to me, please feel free to do so. You can reach me at Karen at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. And of course, if you want to find out more about us and what all we do, you can find us on our website at www.PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.